Ash, look, no one said parenting would be easy, and sometimes your emotions get the better of you. But what are the healthy ways of dealing with the stresses of parenthood? And what do you do when your toddler knows exactly how, exactly when they need to use the potty or use the toilet, how to get themselves dressed, how to get themselves undressed, but they just don't? And they let you know that they know you know they know what to do, they're just not going to do it. We've got some answers on the way in Dad Pod. Welcome to Dad Pod. I'm Charlie. That's Osha. We're two dads who couldn't find any decent content around when our children were on the way. If you listen to episode one, it was kind of like a, a real time impending fatherhood through to the birth. The next couple of episodes was us sort of fumbling our way through the first year of parenthood. Now we feel like we've settled on a good formula for Dad Pod, which is us talking and then bringing in experts, which I think was took us three seasons to work out. <laughs> Who actually knows what they're on about. <laughs> so in every episode of Dad Pod, uh, we'll feature key insights and actionable takeaways. However, if you've just found out that you're going to be a dad, maybe you want to go back to those early episodes so you can ride the journey with us as you become a father. And today on the show, we welcome back Professor Sharon Goldfeld, who's a pediatrician, public health physician, and researcher at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, and one of the brilliant minds behind raisingchildren.net.au. Osh, how has your week been? Oh, with Wolf, it's been, it's been interesting because we... We are learning how to use the toilet and we have been learning how to use the toilet for a number of, I guess it's a number of months now. And at first he, you know, had a bit of, you know, to and fro, which is kind of understandable. But, but then clearly for a small brief window, Wolf clearly demonstrated that he knew he knew when his body needed to wee. He knew how to pull his pants down. He knew how to hold his penis. He knew how to aim where he needed to wee at. He knew how to pull his pants back up. If he had a bit of leakage, had a bit of wheat, knew where his dry undies were, knew how to get them, knew how to put them on. And we were like, job done, high fives. We got it. Now he's like, I need to wee. Or wee wee, he says. Mm. And then he will look us straight in the eye and then just go, and I'm doing it. Oh my God. Like right here on the couch. Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you think yeah, of that? Yeah, I am. <laughs> the, yeah, the couch that you cleaned yesterday and I watched you clean and you explained to me how Weeing in the toilet is where we wee. Weeing on the couch is not something that we do. Right. Yeah, this is me weeing on that couch. And I know I need to control my reaction. I really do. But when I'm tired and there's like another cup full of wee on yeah. our once lovely sofa, I'm like, it's difficult, man. And I know everyone eventually figures it out, but I, I, just, I just don't know what to do. Because the thing is, mate, he's got this twinkle in his eye, Charlie. Yeah. And it's the worst thing, Charlie, because I recognize that twinkle in his eye because it's the twinkle in my eye that I had in my kind of mid to late 20s uh, acting up yeah. a bit. I was like, oh, Jesus, you've got that. It's also that thing too, isn't it, where you've made progress and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Well, toilet training, done and dusted, put that, and then it's like, what? Again? I mean, Iona isn't, she isn't doing the uh, direct eye contact, but there are instances in which it's like, oh, come on, man. We just talked about this. Like you let us know if you need to go wee wees and, you know, we'll, we'll take you to, she's still a bit too little to climb up herself. So she needs a hand getting up. But even with like bush wees and stuff like that, you know, the backyard just opened the, 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 we're in the kitchen. It's like 
five meters to the backyard, just let us know rather than just like letting it go. It, it Sometimes it can feel like two steps forward, one step back. This is an interesting conundrum though. It's the there's a definite kind of like challenge or, or, or boundary testing going on, it sounds like, with Wolfie. Oh, absolutely, because he knows when his body wants to eat because, you know, if we check and we ask him, hey, man, do you need to check this year, have a wee? No. And he will go three hours without weeing. Oh, I can't hold him for three hours, but he will go three hours without weeing because he, he basically wants to not do what we're asking him, basically. No. Uh, which is it was like a boundary control thing. I yeah, think. yeah. And so, do you want to check for a wee? No. Okay. Like we've had a, a fair amount of success. Like the other day, we were going to go on a bit of an adventure, and I said to him, and like we've tried to make a game out of it. We've got a, it's a trick that my mate Luke Heggy taught me. You put a ping pong ball in the yeah. toilet for boys. It's uh, it becomes a game because yeah. it's like you're trying to shoot the ping pong ball. Yeah, I play it every day. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so the ping pong ball. So you want to go shoot the ping pong ball, mate? And we were going to go out and, and get some stuff. And I said, okay, well. The, the toilet door's open. Your stool's there to climb up. Uh, when you've had a wee, we'll go. And he was kind of like, oh, okay. And a couple of minutes went by and he says, Dad, I'm going to the toilet by myself. You stay here. I'll be right back. Okay. And nailed it. You know, went, came back, flushed, washed his hands, the whole thing. He's two and a half. I'm like, Jesus, man. He's a genius. So he, he knows he can do it. And yeah. he knows that we know he can do it. But it's, it's mostly only when he's actually quite tired. Like if he's been at daycare and he's just cooked, yeah. you know. Yeah, man. It's hard because he has that thing in his eye and you're like, mate, I'm I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's so frustrating. <laughs> we are looking at actually purchasing one of those mega vacuum cleaner, you know, carpet up. washer things. Yeah. <laughs> Not the rental one that you get from the checkouts, like an actual one. So it's just here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully, uh, thankfully, we have uh, an expert in the field on the show a bit later today. So I'm sure Professor Goldfeld will have some advice, hopefully some solutions for you. How about you? How's, how's things been going? Like it's been like for people who, who you know, are, are, are new to the show, Charlie lives in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales here in Australia, which has undergone essentially a, a, a once in 500 year flood twice in three weeks. <laughs> And they're they're really they're feeling the full brunt of the changing climate, and yeah. it, it's pretty fucked. Their their community is being pretty fucking ignored, and it's been really really hard up there. And I can't imagine what it's like trying to parent. But you've been by yourself during all this, haven't you? I can say categorically, without a doubt, this has been the hardest week of parenting I've ever had to do, and it was just a uh, like no pun intended a perfect storm. Of things, so yeah, Gemma was away at a conference in the Gold Coast, and so that's fine. Like she travels a lot, and I'm used to parenting solo; that's not an issue. Some friends of ours were also going away and asked if we could dog sit for them, which we thought that's great. Iona loves dogs. We wanted to get more used to being around animals and stuff. It's a nice, friendly dog. It'll be a good little training dog. So yeah, the dog can come and stay. So night one. Uh, I put Iona down. The dog bonding's gone fine. The dog's asleep on the end of her bed. All good. I go down to start doing some work. I notice in the baby monitor that she's tossing and turning and she's sort of grumbling and grizzling. I go up and I lay with her a bit. I just can't settle her. Two, three hours of just like she goes down for a bit and then she wakes up. And then I feel her forehead and I'm like, oh man, like she is burning up. So I go and take her temperature. It's kind of, you know, sort of 
not full-blown fever, but high temperature, sort of high 30, 37, almost 38. So I'm like, okay, come to bed with me. I'll give you some Panadol. I'll just like comfort you. Hopefully that'll take the edge off. You can get back to sleep. And so I'm dosing out the Panadol and I make the fatal mistake of, you know, with that, those big baby Panadol dispensers, you sort of, you know, it's like a fair amount of liquid you've got to, so you've got to dole it out in small amounts of the kid. But I mistimed yeah. the dispensing of the last bit and it hit the back of her gullet, which just made her go blah and bring up like everything. So she puked all over the bed. The dog starts going ape shit. She starts crying and screaming for mum. I'm like, oh, it's about two in the morning at this stage. So well, let's get you into the shower, get you cleaned up. I'll strip the bed. Dog, please stop barking. Iona's freaking out. And she's also like burning up. So I'm trying to get her under the cold water to cool her down. At this point, there's no way I'm going to get any Panadol into her because she's now got the negative association. This thing just made me puke. I'm not having any more of that. So I spend a night. I'm up all night with her. She's she's having fitful sleeps. I'm having no sleep. Gets through to the morning. Some good signs. She's got a bit of an appetite. So I'm sneaking Panadol into her smoothie. She's eating some watermelon, get a bit of liquid into her, sips of water. Okay, things are going fine. And I look out side I'm like, gee, this weather is looking a bit ominous, you know, and, and I check the uh, SES and I check the bomb, no storm warnings at this stage. Okay, things are all right. Take the dog out for a bit of a walk. First thing it does is jump in a massive fucking muddy puddle. I'm like, okay, this is not ideal. I get everyone back to the house. I've got the dog in the laundry. I'm washing the dog down. I go screaming and crying again because she misses mom. It's okay. I take care of her. Check her temperature again. Still a bit of a high temperature, but nothing, nothing too bad. Get through the afternoon relatively unscathed. Get Iona into bed. She wets the bed. Okay, got to strip that bed. So now there's I have no sheets on my bed. She has no sheets on her bed. I'm trying to work out where we're going to sleep tonight. Then the storm hits and it's a bad one. Like, you know, the the first uh, flooding we had three weeks ago was bad, but this seemed worse somehow. Like I've never heard rain like it. Lightning, thunder, dogs going ape shit, babies crying again. <laughs> like it's all happening. And then I'm like, man, this rain is real heavy. I need to get the sump pump going and the stormwater drain. So I get Iona down on the couch with the iPad just so I can go outside for five minutes to set up the pump, get the stormwater drain getting drained. I come back inside. We go up, manage to get some sheets on the bed. Let's all sleep together again. This rain is nonstop. It's like it's virtually impossible to sleep because it's so loud on our tin roof. Somehow get a few hours sleep. We wake up in the morning and I'm like, I get texts from people all in the area. Hey, man, we're flooded. Are you guys okay? I go downstairs kind of knowing what the answer is going to be. There's about like two inches of water downstairs. Luckily, it hasn't hit the furniture, oh, but I've got to move everything aside just so I can start the cleanup process. But I've got this fucking dog that won't stop barking and Iona, who's, you know, understandably distressed by the situation. So thank God for Bluey. Thank God for Bluey. Yeah. I set her up on the couch with some fruit, so an iPad, and let's let's just put Bluey on for the next two hours because that's how long it's going to take me to kind of clean up this mess, get the water out and mop up and dry things and get the fans on and the dehumidifier. That's 24 episodes of Bluey. That's a lot of Bluey. <laughs> it was a lot of Bluey. Like, I felt bad. So yeah. then, like, so we get through this and then, you know, you, you're getting all the info about what's happening in the area and it's bad. Byron Bay CBD is flooded. Lismore is flooded again. You know, I'm checking on friends, making sure people are okay. In the downtime of this, I'm feeling pretty frazzled. And that's when like Jem is calling to sort of check how I'm going. And I don't know what triggered it, but I just 
I was in no mood <laughs> to recount the last 48 hours. Like it just. Yeah. And, and so I snapped and I just was like, I just got, and then the dog was barking. I'm like, shut the fuck up dog. And Jem's like, don't swear in front of owner. I'm like, I, I look after what I've been through. I think I can let a fuck out. <laughs> Not my finest moment, but then <sighs> it just was stress upon stress. Then like daycare's closed. So I can't get owner away. So it's been now 48 hours of just, Nonstop hypervigilance, worrying about my sick kid, yeah. worrying about floodwaters, trying to get this fucking dog to stop barking. You know, like it was just, it was just everything, Osh. It was everything. So uh, we get through the next night. Things have calmed down a little bit. Daycare is back open. Thank God, because I need a break. I've got no one else I can turn to. And I'm trying to get Iona dressed. And it's just a morning of like, no, no, no. No, no, not going to eat this. No, no, I don't want you. I want mum. I want mum. I want mum. I'm like, kid, I fucking want your mum yeah. as well. <laughs> like that makes two of us. This is real hard on me. Can yeah. you just put your underpants on? No, no, no. And I just lost it. I just had a fucking full breakdown where I was just like, I can't just, I can't deal with it. If it's going to be like this, fine. And I left her. It wasn't my, I'm not proud of this, Osh. I feel terrible about it. But I just, I didn't know what else to do. I could feel my blood rising and I just wanted to punch a wall. I just wanted to like scream. I just wanted to do something. And I, I just checked out. I just went and sat in the living room on my own and just sulked for like 20 minutes. It was just like, it was all I could do not to put my head through like, you know, a window. I was just feeling so defeated. And also like, it was just, I felt like I had failed. You know, like we like to think of ourselves yeah. as like, you know, protectors and 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 able to sort of, anticipate all these kind of things. But I felt like every step of the way with each new complication that arose, I was just stumbling. I just couldn't get it together. And not only could I not get it together, I just didn't even have the presence of mind to be able to go, okay, shit's gone bad. Just make sure your daughter is insulated from this. I couldn't do it. I just found myself like reacting every time the dog barked. It was just like, please dog, I'm going to bloody throw you out the door if you bark again. It was just, it just sort of built to breaking point. In the wash up of it all, you know, Gem and I talked about it. I apologized. I apologized to Iona. Like we've been sort of like working our way through it. And, you know, Gem made her position pretty clear, which is like, I understand that. Like I just, you know, she grew up in a household with, you know, fighting parents and it was something she doesn't want for her kid. And I understand that, you know, and I guess where I'm at now is like, do I want to be that kind of dad? that kind of dad whose way of dealing with stress and, and frustration is to yell and scream and punch a wall. No, I don't want to be that dad. I want to set a better example for her, but I don't feel like I have the tools for that yet. Or if I do have the tools, like I'm using them ineffectively. Do you know where I'm coming? I mean, maybe that, the, 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 oh, mate, the oh no, I am, <laughs> I've been listening to you and my heart really goes out to you because I can a hundred percent relate and I'm sure many people listening can relate. This is an unusual situation for you to be in. Not everyone's going to deal with floodwaters, but everyone has had that thing on top of a thing, on top of a thing, on top of a thing. And then then there's another thing. And if two or three days of that go by with broken sleep and you can't dry the clothes and everything's like, yes, no, there's it's, no... Charlie, it's completely understandable that you reacted that way. And it's completely understandable. And you know what? You may not realize it, but you taking yourself out of the situation, you realizing that, I am getting to a point where I am no longer making clear choices about what my reactions are. You going, fine, and you taking yourself away from that was a genius move. You may not realize it, mate, but it was a, a huge thing. I got into an argument with the toasty maker yes. because I yes. was like, 
God, like I just had to get some food into her. And so I made her a toasted cheese sandwich. And when I opened it, the sandwich split. And so half was like, and I just <laughs> said to the toasty, just for fuck's sake, just give me a break. Just one thing, just one thing go right, please. Like I've got no sheets on the bed. I don't know if I can go downstairs. I, I just fucking, I just wanted a toasted sandwich. So my daughter's got some food in her belly. Can you just give me a fucking break? Fucking Breville, fuck! I know it. <laughs> it's just, dude. I know. I uh, absolutely know it. When you're in those moments, I'm, and I don't know. It's, it's, you know. There's an analogy. Uh, you know, if you ever learn how to snowboard or ever learn how to ski, they're very careful to teach you how to do things right from the moment you strap those things onto your feet. Because later on, when you get into trouble, you'll go to the first things that went through your body, and and you end up repeating possibly not the most efficient or, or, or safest moves. And the same with driving or riding a motorbike or whatever. When we're in those situations, we don't know anything. We've mm. never been a parent before. So what often happens is we go with what we know. And that's often, and I've caught myself saying and doing it, it's often the thing that comes about our mouth, out of our mouth or the thing that we find ourselves doing is what we saw when yeah. we were two yeah. or three. Did you find that coming out? That's exactly what it is. And that's what kind of concerns me is that my dad, who was a you know a great dad and, and you know he was not a, a violent or abusive father by any stretch, but- he he didn't deal with stress very well. Like he internalized it. He was always like this sort of coiled spring of just like frustration and, and annoyance. And I, I think that's kind of, you know, laid the, the the foundation of how I deal with stress is I just sort of like absorb it and it bottles up and then it explodes. And I, I, I don't want to be like that. Because the other thing is, you know, once everything has calmed down, I just get washed over with shame. And it's such a powerful emotion and it's a negative emotion, this idea that I'm a failure. I was put to the test and it was resounding donuts that I could not <laughs> deliver what needed to be delivered. All it took was a calm head. You know, I wanted to be bandit. I wanted to be the perfect yeah. dad, you know, the dad who can crack a joke at the right time, but deliver what needs to be delivered at the right time. And I feel in on that measure that I, I failed miserably. And I understand the circumstances were extreme, but- in my mind, I'm like, well, if that's how I behave now, like what happens when there's a real situation, when she breaks her arm or, or when, you know, something bad happens? Like I don't want to be that dad who just his way of dealing with stress and, and frustration is to kind of lash out and yell at the dog. You know, I, I would love to get a dog at some point, but <laughs> I feel like in the last four days I've, I, I can't trust myself. Mate, I, well, firstly, Bandit Healer does fuck up. Quite a bit, and Bandit Hill. Don't worry, Bandit. He's not a perfect dad, and he does fuck up, and he does. You know, it's nice to see Bandit make mistakes, and it's good actually to to see. And honestly, dude, you are not. There's no need to feel any kind of shame because whatever standard there is that anyone in your situation would be able to handle it perfectly the entire time is a ridiculous made up version of reality. There's no way. If you're downstairs of your house is ankle deep in water and you've got a sick kid and a barking strange dog and no clean sheets and f unable to get food in the yes, that is okay <laughs> to be at the capacity of your resilience capacity. It's yeah. fine, dude. It's fine. When I find myself, I've had to learn this and it, it, it came from when Georgia came into my life and now I'm dealing with not one but two people that I'm cohabitating with in a, in a familial sense, I found, and more and more now with Wolfie, I find that 
if I need, like drinking water, right? If you wait till you're thirsty until you drink water, it's too late. You're already dehydrated. But many people don't know that, but that's that's basically what happens. So similarly, I will either set an alarm on my phone or just know when the clock's at the top of the hour to do just a minute of box breaths. And I will just do some down-regulating breathing like every hour, essentially, to just kind of, even though I don't feel like I might need it, just to do it, to keep that escalation from bubbling and giving myself a bit more ballast, I guess, like a larger window between stimulus and response. Because if it gets to where there's, there's nothing, that's when I certainly, I know I become unpredictable and I know exactly what you're saying about having a parent who responds unpredictably. Not great. Yeah. I don't want to be that. Yeah. None of us want to be that. No. But that's what I found is, has helped me. Well, luckily we have Professor Sharon Goldfeld uh, coming up after the break. So hopefully she will be able to help me with my frustration issues and you with your weaponized peeing issues. All that coming up next on Dad Pod. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us, you can at askdadpod at gmail.com. Osh, uh, this is a question that you might be able to answer. This is from Ben. He says, hi, guys. Love the podcast. It's so relatable as I'm a father of two daughters, myself, three and six months. So it's busy times indeed for Ben. Uh, my question is for Osha, being a fellow celiac, I'm interested in how you deal with being celiac as a father. Is your house completely gluten-free? Have you been glutened at home? Has someone weaponized a piece of toast in your face? Uh, and do you feed Wolfie gluten? Thanks so much, guys. Glad you're back, Ben. Oh, Ben, ab- absolutely. I know exactly what you're, what you're talking about here. Um, I only found out I was celiac about three years ago, and uh, one in seven Australians are celiac, but only one in four of them know. I think it's like that, or it might be the other way around. So there's a lot of people who don't get gastrointestinal symptoms. I'm one of them. So I didn't realize that I was celiac until I got a blood test. So I would encourage everyone next time you're a doctor, just ask them to check for the glide and antibodies is what you want to check because it's a very important thing to know. So yeah, I didn't I didn't know. And now that Wolfie's in the house, what we've done, Ben, is it became too much to gluten-free the whole house. So what I have is essentially we just went down to Ikea and we got um, like it's a small kitchen island and it lives against the far oh, wall yeah, of the yeah. kitchen and that's that's gluten-free island. So I prepare all my food there. That's where I've got a separate toaster on that side of the kitchen. It's miles away from where the other bread is. So between gluten-free island and the toaster, I'm pretty good as far as my own uh, food goes. When it comes to feeding Wolfie, yeah, absolutely, I feed him gluten. I don't know how anyone who has a celiac kid does it without toast. Seriously, toast and bread is like, oh, thank God, I can just throw some cheese and baked beans on that. Yes, vegans, I'd feed my kid cheese as well. Uh, and, um, you know, it's amazing. But it is, it is tricky when he wants to put his fingers in my mouth and mm. because Charlie, the way that celiac disease works, even the smallest amount of gluten is enough to set off the response because it's an autoimmune disease and it's, it's the tiniest amount is enough to, to do it. So he wants to put his fingers in my mouth or he, he's such a generous boy. He's like, have you, you want some dad? Can I ha- you haven't yeah. had any food. Let me give you some food. And uh, so he's starting to do that more and more and more. And he'll often, he'll throw things on my plate or we had a couple of jars that have like a pop-top lid on gluten-free island that were kind of within his reach. And he figured out how to open the pop-top lid. So he'd he'd have a handful of toast, shove it in his mouth, and then run over the kitchen, open the thing and just shove his hand in his thing. It's like, well, that's oh. the entire thing of chickpeas gone because I, you know, I'll have to wash them really, really well to, to use them. So it, it is a trick. What we've done to make sure he doesn't feel like he's eating alone when I'm feeding him is I will make myself some food. And so I will eat with him now. 
but I make sure I sit far enough away because he doesn't know that if he touches my plate or throws some of his food into my plate that it could be bad for me. He doesn't know that. I, try, I do try to explain that because he's such a generous boy and it breaks my heart to say, no, I can't mm. have the thing you want to feed me, uh, which is very sweet. But that's the best we can kind of do right now. But it is a bit of a trick. There's a lot of hand washing on my part, like a ton of hand washing. I think Gluten-Free Island sounds like a great concept for a reality series. Maybe we can pitch that. That could be a spin-off of Bachelor, <laughs> just all gluten-free uh, contestants or vying for the, the love of one celiac bachelorette. Well, I actually stole the the idea doesn't belong to me. The idea belongs to someone I went to business school with, a, a brilliant man by the name of Robert Brunt. Uh, he's not the first celiac I knew, but he's the first person, I guess, in my adult life that I worked side by side with uh, at this business school in Amsterdam. And his idea, his big idea was he wanted to create gluten-free island because he's celiac <laughs> and both his kids are because uh, it's hereditary and it, it, it targets people of Irish descent. So you may want to get checked. <laughs> anyway, going on holidays with a kid who's celiac is a nightmare. Uh, yeah. You can't go to a buffet. You can't eat at an all you can eat. You can't just go, you know, you've got to prepare all your own food. So his his dream was to find some resort, island, whatever, completely clean the place, maybe do it like for a, a month at a time and then get families in for week-long packages so a family can go there and be like, eat everything you want, kids. There's nothing you have to ask me first. Just go for it. That was his dream. <laughs> I think he logistically figured out that a cruise ship might be easier. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know what's happening now. So it's Robert's idea, and I really hope he makes it because <laughs> it's a brilliant idea because he talked about trying to go on holidays with his family. It's really, really, really hard as a kid. You know, no, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that. You'll get sick, like so sick, and you'll blow out three days of our holiday. Don't do it. <laughs> so until we get to go to gluten-free island, Ben, um, that was my solution. Osh, we've got Professor Sharon Goldfeld on the line. Let's have a chat to her. I feel like we're going to learn something today. Oh, finally, because we don't know anything. We don't know anything. Osh, very happy to welcome back to the show Professor Sharon Goldfeld. She's a pediatrician, public health physician, and she works at the Murdoch's Children's Research Institute and is the director of the Centre for Community Child Health at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne and... If that's not enough, she is one of the brilliant minds behind raisingchildren.net.au, the Australian parenting website. Welcome back to the show, Sharon. Prof oh, sorry, I should, Professor Sharon Goldfeld. Uh, great to see you again. We've had a very lengthy discussion today about a couple of topics. For mine, it's more about my issues. For Osh, it's more about Wolfie's issues. If we could just start with my problem at the moment. Uh, I've had a very stressful week dealing with parenting solo, um, having a sick child, floods, if that wasn't bad enough. And then the thing that I thought was going to be the least amount of trouble was uh, friends asked me to, to mind their dog. <laughs> so on top of everything else, I had a strange dog in the house, which initially we thought, well, this would be good for Iona to get used to having a pet in the house and stuff. But when all this other stuff was going on, a, a dog barking nonstop in your ear just compounded my stress. And so with all these issues going on with me trying to deal with a sick kid and, and, and get water out of my house, and I just found myself like various times over like a three-day period, just not coping, just snapping, you know, not at Iona, at the dog, definitely. The dog got a lot of swear words. But then when my wife Gemma called, I just had no patience for, you know, she was asking what was going on. And I was just under so much pressure that I just, I, I, it was like my brain was short-circuiting where she was trying to get me to explain what the problem was, but I 
was in the midst of all these problems and I just kept being really, really short with her. I just couldn't take her through all the shit I am dealing with right now because I have like water around my ankles. I've got a dog barking. I've got a kid that's screaming in one ear. And I know that you're really stressed out because you don't know what's going on, but I just need to deal with this stuff. In the cold light of day, and we've talked it all through, I've apologized for my behavior, but the thing that really sort of dawned on me is that I'm behaving the way that I saw my father behave when I was a kid. My father was a very anxious man and did not deal with stress. He had nine children to look after, so it's very understandable that he was a very stressed out individual. But I've always been very conscious when I became a dad of, I don't want to be that. Because my earliest memories of my father was this incredibly wound up guy who could fly off the handle at the slightest, you know, provocation. And even though I made that commitment to myself, it happened. Sure, my circumstances were kind of extreme, but I really feel like I let myself down. And I just want to know, like, what are some healthier ways either in the moment that I can deal with this kind of stress or now in the cold light of day when I'm doing my performance review in which I, I feel like I failed, got donuts across the line. What are some things I can put into place so next time I'm put in this situation, I can just deal with these stresses in a more healthy, constructive way? So Charlie, can I, I, I do want to start with the stress of the day Yeah. because I just think it's really important for parents to be kind to themselves sometimes when things are really stressful. And I'm conscious that a number of parents have gone through some pretty stressful periods lately with the pandemic and lockdowns and you know, maybe not flooding Charlie to add in, but, you know, parents kind of being Mm. locked down with two-year-olds and three-year-olds and sole parenting and all sorts of things that are really stressful. And so I do think as parents we do need to be kind to ourselves sometimes about the reality of of stress and the moment, and that might mean Mm. a combination of things about how you, you know, move away from your kids sometimes when you have to, when you're really, really stressed, how you find ways to de-stress at times that are really stressful, how you might get some extra help, like maybe like your dad probably needed some extra help to deal with some of that stress, but for a whole range of reasons, maybe at the time couldn't reach out to get that help for themselves. Mm. You know, parenting is very much like the, um, you know, the oxygen on the plane. First, you have to give oxygen to yourself, then you right. can give oxygen to your child. And so, yeah, I do think we need to be kind to ourselves. So in that very, very stressful situation, Charlie, I know you're using it just as a way of having this conversation, but I do want parents out there to know that when things are like that, there's a flood, you're, you've got a two-year-old, a barking dog, and your wife's on the phone, and, you know, that that's okay to not know quite how to handle that situation and to say things and do things that you might not have. And, you're, and yet you're still your boundaries are all there. You know, like I think obviously for some parents that tips over into places they don't want to go, which might be about hitting your kid or hitting someone or doing mm. things that really step over boundaries regardless of stress. But within the realms of, oh my God, yeah, you know, that's okay under those sort of so, – so there's that element of it, which is quite different to how you described your dad flying off the handle at the slightest thing. That's a whole di- – that's a different place. And I guess you're trying to work out how you actually go in between when maybe you, there isn't quite as much stress when you're not standing in the water and the dog's barking, yada, yada. But yeah. still, you come home from work or that just a stressful day. And how do you contain some of that stress that you're feeling as a parent when you've got like a two-year-old that might be asking you 14,000 questions at mm. once? Like, why, 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 why? You know, in, the, in those times, I think one of the really interesting tricks as a parent and no one ever gets it right all the time, can I just say. There's no perfection here. But, you know, how do you actually contain your own stress and be able to, number one, 
recognize it. That's the most important thing. And then number two, know how to deal with it in a way that, as I said, you're giving yourself oxygen, which might be something as simple as, uh, mummy or daddy can't talk to you right now. And you literally walk out of the room, close the door and put yourself in a room. Like sometimes yeah. that's what you just need to do. Now you can't do that when there's a flood and then you, you can't, you know, two year olds going to drown if you put them down. So <laughs> you can't do that. But in general, if there wasn't a flood and there was just a barking dog and everything else, and you thought I'm going to explode, recognizing that and just walking away and closing the door, nothing will happen to your two year old on the other side of the door, except they're likely to bang on it. And, but you've kind of taken yourself out of that situation calmed yourself down and you can come out and just then be kind of have taken yourself out. Now that sounds lovely. And sometimes you just can't do that. Mm. And sometimes you do things and say things that you don't really want to do. And then you reflect. And I think the best thing I would say out of your situation, Charlie, was that you actually reflected and said, okay, I don't, I don't want to be like my dad. What are the tools that I need? Do I need to know how to take myself out of the situation? Do I need to know how to seek help if I'm not coping all that well? Do I need to know how to work with my partner if I'm sort of stressing out too much? Does it mean that people sort of say, well, you know, I don't want to put my kid in childcare, I don't want to do this, but, you know, if it's really chronic and you can do it, can you rely on a friend or a parent to look after your child for a bit? Just actively finding strategies is really, really important. And then at times when you do yell at your kid in ways that you didn't want to yell at your kid, exactly what you're saying, reflecting and coming back. And it's okay to say to your child, you know what? I shouldn't have yelled at you. It was my, it was my, it's not exactly the wording, but it was my issue, not your issue. And I'm, mm. I'm really sorry about that. And you can ask them how they, when they're a little bit older, how they felt about that. So it's okay to come back and apologize to your child for yelling in ways that you didn't want to. Similarly, if they're doing something they really shouldn't do and it's caused you to yell, come back and say, so I'm really sorry, yell, but this is what you were doing that was really upsetting me. So they know, they know what it, that upsets you and sometimes it feels like children are just doing things to upset you because that yeah. they seem to not know how to do that but actually children really really want your positive attention and they're not so good at discerning positive versus negative attention they kind of just like attention and so sometimes you know they'll do things to push your buttons to get attention all the crazy events that sort of um, happened it was sort of more in the aftermath that the stress was bubbling so it was almost like the lack of sleep they're having to clean up the, the the water, all that kind of stuff. And then in the quiet moments, that's when I would get triggered. And so I think yesterday daycare opened up so I could actually, you know, get Iona. But she, it was just a morning of no's. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't get dressed. She wouldn't. And I just sort of reached breaking point where I just was like, I, I, I don't know what to do. And for me, it's a lot about ego. It's like if I was a better parent, I'd be able to invent a tactic or I'd be able to trick her into putting her underpants on or whatever it is. But in the end, I was the child. I just went and sulked in the living room. I just said to her, look, okay, you win. You don't want to get dressed. Stay nude. It's fine. And I went and just sat in the living room and just sulked on the couch for like 15 minutes about, and I I guess where my mind was then was like, I am failing. I'm failing. But what you've described is that's probably actually a healthy thing to do is actually just extract myself from the situation, allow things to calm down, which they did. And she did eventually sort of like come around to putting her underpants on, which I felt was like a a huge victory. (laughs) But it was just more like in the moment, there's so much going on uh, for me, which is all about ego. It's about why can't I do this? Am I failing at this? Would my wife be doing a better job? And I think for dads too, there is this kind of for Gemma to calm down Iona, all it takes is a kiss and a cuddle and she, you know, but for me, 
it, that's not as easy. Like Iona does not calm down with just a touch of her back or a kiss on the head or whatever. It takes much more effort, you know, and that resistance it sometimes can be exhausting. Yeah. Aren't children clever, right? They've worked out, <laughs> worked out what she can get away with mum with and what she can yeah. get away with dad with. She's already worked out. She's already too. Look how much yeah. she's already worked out, right? They're so clever children, aren't they? But, Charlie, this pressure parents put on themselves is really quite extraordinary. And, it, it you know, it happens for men and women, actually. And this kind of idea of the idealised parent. And then you talk to your friends and, and they always idealise what they're doing with their children. So they're not having any of these issues, but, of course, they yeah. are. And so that's this kind of podcast like this. You know, parent groups, you know, mum's groups and dad's groups. I mean, I wish there were more dad's groups. The ability to sit around and go, oh, my God, I nearly, you know, was going to send this child back yesterday. It was so hard. Just to be able to share is so important because everyone realises they're all having the same challenges. There is no bar and there is absolutely no medal at the end of it either. So it's just (laughs) taking away some of those pressures and, and also lowering the bar you know, we were, you know, I'm sure Charlie you would have said, but if I take Iona to childcare and she's only wearing, you know, a pajama top and no undies, that will judge me. And, but actually, nobody really cares. Like, you're really yeah. not the first parent to take their child. You know, you'll notice a lot of um, kids turning up in Superman outfits and fairy dresses. <laughs> and that's because that parent hasn't been able to remove that outfit from that child for five days. And that's what happens. You just go, you know, you got to pick your battles and, you know, that morning, your battle, your only job was to get her to childcare so you could get a breather. And if she went half naked, nobody really cares that much. And she would so work right. it out herself. She would have totted out of the car, put her undies on and gone in. That's how it would have yeah. worked. But sometimes in the heat of the moment, you think, my whole parenting career is based on me getting underwear on my child. And if I fail, <laughs> I've clearly failed as a parent. But yeah. in the heat of the moment, it's hard to sometimes see that. But if you're reflecting, it's like, it wouldn't have probably been a big deal. And when it's, I don't know if this is your first child or your... Um, it's the first, yeah. Yeah, but the first, is that's the hardest because you haven't worked quite out that actually the sky doesn't fall if your child goes to school half naked or if they don't eat breakfast or any of those things that just seem so important at the time. But actually, mm. when the kid gets to childcare, they'll eat something when they're hungry or, you know, those sorts of things. We, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents. We really, really do. And, you know, I'm not sure it's good for us. And that, and it comes through love, but it also comes through a lot of stuff we see on social media where everyone's living their best life and they're the perfect yeah. parent. It's such a relief to hear you talking about letting ourselves off the hook. And we do kind of forget that even if you've had kids before and it's the same, you know, with Audrey, I mean, I became a parent at uh, with a child that was the age of 10 when I became a stepdad, right? With no experience, but yes, Audrey's had a kid before, but it doesn't make it the same each kid's completely different and each kid gets a different set of parents, you know, we're different people to who we were. But what what you're talking about that Iona's figured out uh, her parents, Wolfie's definitely figured out uh, Audrey and I, and there's a situation going on at our place at the moment where we're only in nappies for daytime naps and overnight and we're in undies uh, the rest of the time. And here's the thing, uh, Sharon, Wolfie is certainly able to, you know, hold his penis and aim at a tree or bushwee or whatever. He's and pull his pants back up again. He knows how to do it. He knows to ask and isn't, doesn't, won't. It's almost like weaponized wing. <laughs> He'll be like, oh, I need to do a wee-wee and then just lock eyes and then just <laughs> let go and just watch what we're doing. But I know I'm not supposed to react, but honestly, 
it's probably we get we're running out of white vinegar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're kind of stuck in this loop. We're stuck in this roadblock. He he knows exactly what to do. There's even a ping pong ball on the toilet to make it a game. Like, hey, just shoot the ping pong ball. Yeah, I'm really good at it. The first time he tried, I was like, nailed it. Never did it again. So we're stuck here, and we don't quite know how to get out. So um, this is my clinical specialty, pooing and weeing, and I love it. I just think this is, this is again, um, so there's four things you can't really make your kids do. You can't make them poo, wee, eat, or sleep. You can't make them do any of them. They have total control over those things. So as parents, most of our parenting life is spent when children are young being wily about how to get them to poo, wee, eat, and sleep. Because the moment you make them try and do any of those things, the automatic reaction is, well, I won't try and make me and so now you're into the wily kind of bits of parenting which I just love this bit of it because again this this kid has worked you guys out right and look how much attention he's getting from doing this he doesn't really care where he weaves like I always say to parents if you were weeing or peeing in your undies or pooing in your undies it would be 10 out of 10 concern for you and you would go we cannot keep doing this we need to do something about this but a kid goes "I, I don't care like he doesn't have a kind of social guide going, well, if I wear my undies out, I'll be social pariah and that's going to be a real problem for me. There's none of that. He doesn't care about any of that. So then it's like, well, what do you do? And so there are a few things you can do, none of which are perfect. The first thing is if you want to stop a behavior in any child, the best way is to ignore it. So mm. it's the opposite of what you think. So the way we get rid of behaviors, any behavior actually, is to ignore it. So if your son wants to wee in front of you, the thing is to say to him, I'm really sad that you've weed in your undies. That's not really what we do around here. You give him a pair of clean undies, you turn your back and you walk away. And with a very, very quiet voice. So it's not yelling. It's actually the opposite of yelling. And again, you know, that's not what we do. You don't do it. You don't wee in the lounge room. Mum doesn't wee in the lounge room. So probably he shouldn't wee in the lounge room either. So that's one for the kid that stares you in the eye and says, watch me do it. What are you going to do about it? And that's him learning how to get control as well. Like his whole world now is working out boundaries, you know, again, with the guardrails. That's his job. His job is to go out there and work out the guardrails. And your job as a parent is to work out what the guardrails are. So that's one option. The other is, for your sake of your sanity, is to put him in back in nappies for a bit. Now, he's only two and a half, so it doesn't really matter. Not going to change the world too much. And just say, while we're working this out, because that's happening and I don't really want to wash undies and no one does, we're going to go back in nappies. It's not like you've been naughty. We're going back in nappies. But we're going to go back in nappies and we're going to try doing the toilet training thing. Like we're going to try weeing and, you know, you go to the toilet, take the nappy off, have a wee, put the nappy back on, that sort of thing. It will feel to you like as a parent, like you're regressing. There is this great competition with parents that always makes me laugh, which is how old was your child when they toilet trained? <laughs> and uh, like it matters. And so I tell them there's no correlation between the age of toilet training and any other genius that they're going to be in the future. <laughs> That's not a Mensa qualification? The, when did you do no, your first pool not, in the toilet? It's not, <laughs> it's not. It's not. So that's the other thing you do is you just go back to practicalities because you're busy people and who's got time to, you know, get out the vinegar every time and wash a thousand undies and all the rest of it. Practical stuff, put them back in nappies and tell them if you want to go and have a wee in the toilet, We'll go together, I'll take the nappy off and have a wee in the toilet. Or you can have a wee in the toilet in your nappy, but not in the lounge room because you don't wee in the right. lounge room, right? So just putting those guardrails in, but maybe a bit more gently, helping that child slowly work their way back to where they need to be 
And then they kind of eventually get there. Sometimes it takes longer than you'll like because some children are just more stubborn than is helpful. Look, I'm really grateful for that that guidance there. That's actually really maybe, good. Maybe we, it might not be quite what you think about next time he's weighing in it's front fine. of you. It's fine. It's fine. It's great to have that direction there because the idea of he is starting to understand that sometimes he, he doesn't want to make us sad and we can see very quite quickly that he doesn't doesn't want to make us sad. We have started to talk to him about that. But the idea of going, oh, that's not what we do around here, mate, and clean undies and then disengage completely from the situation. Look, I'll try anything at this point. I understand he'll get it eventually unless you're, I don't know, get your kinks in some other way. We generally don't wear nappies as, as adults, <laughs> right? So he, he will figure it out. Everyone learns how to walk. Everyone eventually figures out they eat when they're hungry and they stop eating when they're full. We all figure it out eventually. It's just, yeah, we've sacrificed a couch and a rug. And a, like it's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and, and also can I say, if, if you do push them too hard, this is the other kind of balance, particularly around the pooing stuff, then they start holding on, then they get constipated and then uh, there's a whole world of pain coming away, which is why the nappy exchange is not a terrible thing. You can say we're training your bum, we're training your wee, you know, we're training, you know, all of those sort of things. So it's not like they're naughty. It's that, oh, you've got a tricky bum or you've got a, you know, tricky penis or whatever you sort of use. It's a bit tricky. Mm, let's go back into the nappies while we're working all that trickiness out. So that's the other thing is not making them sound like they're the naughty kid, but they've just got this tricky thing we're trying to work out. So there are those little tools that you can use that just take the sting out of it so you're not going you know, Wolfie, you're a bad boy, you know, not that you'd say that, but that's what you feel like saying. And it feels mm. very personal. That's the other thing is you feel like this child is doing this to just press my buttons, but actually it's more about them having control. That's so great to hear. I feel so, I feel so relieved, Charlie. Yeah. Every time Sharon comes on the show, I'm like, oh, I'm not getting it completely wrong. That's right. That's so great. You don't have to go out and beat up any two-year-olds, Osh. It's fine. You can solve this problem without mm-hmm. violence. We talked about this last time that Professor Goldfeld was on. I, I do not, could, or I will not engage in any violence against children, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it may cross my mind, okay? <laughs> there may be a man, but it doesn't ever happen. Uh, Professor Sharon Goldfeld, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Of course, if you like what you heard today, uh, there's a reason because um, Professor Goldfeld is one of the brilliant people behind RaisingChildren.net.au, which is why we're so thrilled to have her on the show because that is a website that we at Our Place have been using since before Wolfie was born. Uh, Professor Goldfeld, thanks for being on the show today once again. Great pleasure. Honestly, Charlie, having Professor Goldfield on the show is it's like literally the the lighthouse of Byron Bay shining for the first time in the night. You're like, oh yeah. there it is. Oh, finally. Something really interesting that I picked up from her today was those four things. You can't make your child poo, eat, wee, or sleep. And it's just up to them as to when those things happen. And, and the other thing is I know I know it and it's important to know and you think I know it in my business. If there's no audience, there's no show. Yeah. If you want to stop a behaviour, you really just have to ignore it. And it was great to be reminded of that today. It was also great to be reminded that I'm not going crazy. <laughs> Every parent reaches challenges. But also this idea that, you know, we put these pressure on ourselves that things have to be perfect. You know, I couldn't get underpants on my daughter this morning. Well, you know, if she's committed to going to school in her pajamas, take her to school in her pajamas. You know, she'll quickly realize that she wants to get dressed herself. And that is something that I kind of hadn't thought of. You know, we sort of compare ourselves against these imaginary standards of like these perfect parents, or in our case, you and I hold up, you know, bandit healer (laughs) as the perfect example of fatherhood. 
But it is one of those things where it takes some introspection after the fact. I think, you know, to think that you're going to behave perfectly in every situation is unrealistic. But what's important is to then evaluate how you did behave afterwards and understand why you behave like that and see if you can make changes. So I feel a lot better. I mean, hopefully I won't have to encounter the uh, perfect storm <laughs> of dog, sick kid and <laughs> floods for a little while yet. I guess the thing that, that I did love to hear uh, a proper professor say, it's okay to say, dad can't talk right now and then shut the door. Yeah. Take a moment, have a breath, reset, and come back out. Giving yourself permission to do that is a game changer. And I was so happy to hear that from her today. And, you know, mate, you did exactly the right thing. Didn't we went and it, sat on the couch. But I there did There you it. go. <laughs> Uh, if you like the show, please uh, rate us, give us a like or a review. And the best way to promote the show is just to tell other people if there's other dads or mums or expectant fathers out there that you think could benefit from listening to Dad Pod. Please let them know. If you want to get in touch with us, you can at askdadpod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on the gram at dadpodgram. Osh, so good to see you again. I feel a lot better. Thank you for uh, sharing this journey of fatherhood with me. I need to get my mo back. I'm looking at your <laughs> impressive dad mo. I'm like, geez, I need to be part of the club. Maybe next time we jump back on, I can have my mo grown in time. Well, you, you're you quite a astute man. You could grow a moustache by tomorrow. This yeah. has taken me six weeks. And uh, I, I came out, it was a beard for the first five weeks. And I came out of the shower the other day after I'd shaved and Audrey went, you missed a spot. <laughs> don't listen to her it's an impressive <laughs> bristle i love it yeah well she hasn't kissed me yet but we'll see what happens she's <laughs> she's so far winning this war of attrition until we speak next time charlie don't touch that <laughs>